Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I, uh, I have to confess before, before we start that I feel a little bit the worse for wear today because, uh, because yesterday afternoon I decided to mow the lawn and I have one of those, uh, one of those push barrel mowers, you know, the old, the old school type mowers. Low carbon, that's what I always say, low carbon. And, uh, and man, I'm, my body hasn't done so much work in, uh, in a few weeks anyway. So if I look a little invalided this morning, it's because, uh, it's because of that. All that and the vacuum cleaning. Anyway, but um, evidently this morning uh, we're, we're not looking at Leviticus. Uh, as Chris has already said, uh, I thought we'd take a little bit of a break from Leviticus. Uh, I, I think it's been encouraging over the last uh, so many weeks to, uh, to see uh, God's word being powerful in studying a really strange and, and somewhat enigmatic book of the Bible and seeing that that's really still relevant for us today. I think that's been a tremendous encouragement. Uh, but I thought it would be good to take a break as well. And, and for some time I've sort of been wanting to uh, study, I guess think about uh, the nature of the Christian life just to, to get a bit more of an insight into what that uh, ought to look like uh, and what it does look like. Uh, and uh, I guess when you look around the world... Uh, you see you have, uh, you have ads on television, you have TV shows, you have friends and family, you have lots of people telling you what life should be like and so I thought it would be good to spend some time thinking, well, what, what does God actually say that the Christian life should look like? What will it look like? Uh, and there's really no better place to do that than uh, by looking at the Psalms and so I want to do that over the weeks uh, leading up to Christmas to think about some of the dimensions, I guess, of the Christian life. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 1, uh, obviously, now Psalm 1 is pretty simple. Uh, if you know your Bible, you've probably read it a million times. Uh, it's basically, the, the, the very simple point of it is, is that it's comparing two ways, isn't it? It's comparing the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Uh, and it begins really by talking about, about the way of the righteous by saying what it isn't like. So it says, that, first of all, that the way of the righteous is not the way of sinners. Verse 1. Uh, the blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Uh, the picture here is one, I think, uh, of a kind of decline and increasing comfort with, uh, with sin. Uh, some of you may know the famous painting by William Hogarth from, uh, uh, when was it? The 1800s, I think. 
Uh, it, uh, it's a famous painting called The Rake's Progress and it's a series of eight, eight paintings. Uh, and in the first painting there's, a, there's a, a picture of a young man who's come into a sizeable fortune uh, and in that picture he's being measured up for a new suit uh, and he's uh, kind of you know, ditching his, uh, his girlfriend. In the second painting we see him throwing this lavish party and, uh, and uh, George Frederick Handel sitting on the, uh, on the piano and there's a whole lot of other kind of important people from society joining in the revelry. In the third uh, picture there's a scene with, uh, with the rake uh, at a tavern surrounded by prostitutes. In the fourth he's lost his fortune and narrowly escapes being thrown into prison. In the fifth uh, we see him uh, marrying an uh, elderly woman, an elderly hag to be, to be fair, uh, trying, to, trying to get her fortune. In the sixth picture he's in a casino, in the seventh he's in prison and in the eighth he's been thrown into a mental asylum. It's a picture of the decline, the slow decline of a person further and further into wickedness and further and further into sin. And this uh, psalm, Psalm 1, really begins with a picture too of that same kind of rake's progress, that slow decline uh, into wickedness. The condition of the un- unrighteous person moves from, uh, from walking uh, to standing to sitting. There seems to be, as I said, a kind of increasing comfort with the ways uh, of wickedness. At first they dabble in sin. They, they dabble in sin by receiving and listening to the counsel of wicked people. So they come up against a, a life problem and they say to themselves, what shall I do? You know, what shall I do in this circumstance? Shall I go here? Shall I go there? You know, and the advice that they take is the advice of, of sinful people, of people who don't believe and follow Jesus. Uh, eventually taking the advice of sinners leads to standing in the way that sinners take. They begin, in other words, to be defined and characterised more and more by opposition and rejection of God. After they stand in the way of, of uh, sinners for a while, the final devastating step is that they sit in the seat of mockers. It's moved from counsel to a more wholesale adoption of sinful ways And finally, there's open hostility. Open hostility towards God. They mock God. They mock Christians. If you've been uh, in church long enough, uh, around around Christians long enough, you've probably seen that happen. Uh, Sadly enough, you've probably seen someone who who begins by professing some kind of uh, knowledge of God and of Jesus, but who increasingly begins to take the advice of people who don't love God. It starts with uh, one thing here or there and sooner or later their whole life comes to be really characterised by the adoption of ways which God hates. And finally, they come to be defined as people who mock God and who mock Christians and who mock the faith. Maybe, of course, that's not just a description of people that you see, maybe that's a description uh, of where you're at. Maybe you've begun to take more and more the advice of sinful people who don't believe in Jesus. Maybe more and more your life is characterised by standing in the way of sinners, adopting the way that sinners take. Maybe even in your life there are the first hints of mocking, mocking God, 
mocking the faith. There are lots of ways that we can ta- uh, take counsel from, uh, from sinners but here is a danger that, the fir- that uh, Psalm 1 puts before us. The more we listen, the more we begin to adopt unrighteous ways and before we know it, we're mocking God. So the way of the righteous is not the way of sinners. That's really the first thing. The righteous person doesn't look like that. In contrast, verse 2, the way of the righteous is the way of delight in the law of God. So verse 2, but his delight is in the law of God and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice what the opposite of verse 1 isn't. You might expect that the opposite of walking, standing and sitting in the way of sinners would be walking, standing and sitting in the way of the righteous. I mean, naturally you would expect that would be the opposite, wouldn't you? But it isn't. That's what the righteous person looks like in the long run, but that's not the first thing, that's not the most important thing that the psalm is putting before us. The opposite of walking, standing and sitting in the way of sinners is not walking, standing and sitting in the way of righteousness, but delighting and meditating in the law of God. Remember the, uh, the way of the unblessed, the unrighteous person was taking the counsel of the wicked. In other words, the blessed person is a person who doesn't take the counsel of the wicked but takes the counsel and listens to the words of God. What's extraordinary in this psalm too is that the secret source of this person's blessing that this person has from God is not their sinless perfection, right? So they're not blessed because they're, they're perfect. That's not what the psalm is saying. They're not blessed because they're making really solid attempts at obedience. That's not what the psalm is saying. The psalm is saying that first and foremost they're blessed because they delight and meditate on God's words. Actually, it doesn't say God's words, does it? It says the law of God. What's going on there? When we uh, think of the law, we tend to think of commandments, don't we? We think of uh, do this, don't do that. But the uh, word, the Hebrew word, which stands behind the word law in this psalm is the word, uh, you might know, uh, Torah, which, which is a word which can mean commandments but really just means instructions. Uh, it's, it's God's instructions. Uh, that includes the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, but it includes so much more as well. It includes the creation account. It includes the account of the life of Abraham. It includes all those pictures from Leviticus that we've been studying. Right? That's God's, God's law, God's Torah. It includes accounts of repentance towards God. It includes accounts of God fulfilling promises. Uh, it includes all the words, basically, which God has written down in the Bible. In other words, what Psalm 1 is saying is that the righteous person or the blessed person meditates on those things. I think it's really important for us to see that, 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 that what, we're, what the psalm is calling us to meditate on is broader than commandments. It's broader than just rules, it's broader than uh, meditating on, on, on God says, don't do this, and God says, do this. It's, it's bigger than that. It means meditating on things like this. From Deuteronomy 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, but it was because the Lord loved you. 
It also means meditating on words like this. Do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. It is not because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Or words like this. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, in God's words, we find all kinds of statements which God is calling us to meditate on and to reflect on. God says things like, I welcome sinners. I hate the proud, but love the humble. God says, I hear the poor and the needy and those who cry out to me in distress. And that's just the Old Testament. What about when you, when you include the greater and more perfect revelation which we have uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ? Words uh, like, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Words like, Whoever comes to me I will not drive away. Words like, Repent and believe the good news. Words like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. See, it's important that when we understand, when we think about God's law, that we see that it's more than just the commands. It involves the promises of God, the plans of God, the things that God has done, the, the expressions of the love of God. Psalm 1 says, the person who delights in those words, who meditates on those words, is a blessed person. Now in our, uh, in our kind of modern world with the influences from uh, Eastern religions. When we think of meditation, we think kind of standing there with our, with our fingers together and, uh, and our legs crossed and emptying our mind of content, right? Which is, which is kind of the opposite, really, of what this psalm is saying. The Hebrew word, uh, again, behind meditation is, the word, is a kind of word which means speaking under your breath. So this person is, is speaking God's words to themselves. They're speaking the words of God under their breath to themselves. The, uh, the idea, I think, here is of, quite simply, believing. That is, if you meditate on God's words, if you speak God's words to yourself, if you delight in God's words, if you treasure them up in your heart, what are you doing? You're receiving God's words and you're believing them. Psalm 1 is saying that the road to blessing, the way of the righteous person, is by believing, cherishing God's words. If we believe God's words, we have to speak them to ourselves every day, don't we? We have to speak themselves to, our, to ourselves every day because Satan is always speaking lies to us as well. Satan says the gospel is useless. Satan says no one will ever believe it, so why bother telling them about it? But God's word says the good news of Jesus is, the power, is my power unto salvation. Satan says nobody at this church cares about you, you may as well leave. God says, love my church in the same way that Jesus loved the church, a bunch of sinners who didn't love him half as much as he loved them. We need to constantly speak God's words to ourselves and believe God's words because Satan is always throwing in his advice. And the path of blessing is the path of believing and receiving 
and cherishing God's words. You see, it's not that it's not that reading the Bible is sort of powerful in itself. It's not the kind of repeating uh, words over and over again in our heads as a kind of a mantra is powerful. It's not as though we need to kind of say to ourselves, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God. That's not what the psalm is talking about. It's not that we can kind of take some words of the Bible as well and, 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 uh, and they're powerful in and of themselves. You know, we can sort of take do not murder and sort of focus on do not murder. The rest of the Bible shows us, no, that there's, kind of, there's a core, isn't there? There's kind of a, a main message of the Bible and some, it's, a, it's a message about Jesus. And it's, not a, it's not a message that needs to be repeated as a mantra. It's not a message which is powerful just in the reading of it but it's a message which is powerful in the believing of it, in the receiving of it, in the delighting in it, in the speaking of it to our own hearts. They're powerful words because in those words God calls us to faith and repentance. They're powerful words because in those words God tells us about Jesus. They're powerful words because through them God engenders faith in people's hearts. They're powerful words because in them God shows us more of Jesus in order that we might be made more like him. In short, delighting and meditating on God's words is powerful because in them we find Jesus and in Jesus we find righteousness and life. So at the beginning of this psalm we have a contrast, don't we? We have, we have two ways. Or we have one way really, the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is not like the way of sinners. The way of the righteous is meditating and believing and speaking God's words to yourself. The psalm uh, then goes on to give us a picture of what the person who does that looks like. Okay, so what, what would you expect to see in your life if you cherished and meditated on God's words? What would your life look like? Well, verse 3 tells us, He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. It's uh, useful to know, I think, in sort of coming to grips with this verse, uh, it's useful to know that Israel was a place and still is a place that has many wa- uh, wadis. I don't know if you know what a, a wadi is, but uh, a wadi is a, basically a, a dry riverbed uh, that you get in desert regions. Uh, and when uh, sort of the rains come, when you get serious rain, it kind of the, the dry riverbeds flood and the desert springs to life. The, uh, the, the rivers fill up and, uh, and, it, and it waters the desert basically. And for a period of time, you get the desert springing to life. You, you've seen that over the last two years, I think, with Lake Eyre. I don't know if you've seen the documentaries or the pictures of Lake Eyre on the television. With the, with the rain in Queensland flowing down through the inland river systems and Lake Eyre has sprung to life. But before that, Lake Eyre was a, was a barren sort of wilderness and it's probably a barren wilderness again now because the water's going to stop uh, and it's going to return to being a kind of unfriendly desert again. But for a time, uh, it, it was this kind of this place of, of, uh, of amazing beauty and, and of amazing life. And someone is saying... The person who meditates on God's word is not like that. The person who meditates and cherishes God's word is not like a tree planted beside a wadi. 
They're not like a plant in a desert which gets the rain only sometimes of the year, which is only kind of springing forth into, into life at certain times. No, the person who delights and meditates and who believes God's words, that person is like a tree planted beside streams of living water, a tree which bears fruit in its season, who never dies, whose leaf never, never withers. That is, it's, a, it's a picture of consistent and beautiful life. Abundant, beautiful life resulting from believing God's words. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a wonderful promise? Uh, I was, as I was thinking about this uh, psalm this week, I was thinking, man, I've been here for four months uh, at the branch and can I just say, I am absolutely exhausted. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am flat out just extraordinarily tired. And I was thinking this week, I don't know how I'm going to get to the end of this week. Oh, I, thought, I thought to myself, I don't, I, 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 this psalm is like an a, a empty canvas to me. Uh, I don't, I don't understand it. How, how am I going to preach a sermon on this? How am I, how am I going to preach a sermon for, for, for another year, for, for 10 more years, for 20 more years? How am I going to continue in a lifetime of ministry? And maybe some of you feel the same way. How, how, how am I going to continue in a life of faithful service to God? How am I going to do that? I'm exhausted. How am I going to continue to be a faithful parent? Because at the moment... It's just hard work. How am I going to continue to be a faithful husband or wife? Because at the moment, it feels like all the love is in one direction and I, I just don't have it in me to keep going. How am I going to continue in this work I have in the church and leading this ministry and in teaching these people, how am I going to continue that? because I just feel so discouraged. You know, I've been criticised. Nothing seems to be happening. How am I going to keep going? How am I going to keep being faithful to God? How am I going to keep being kind? I don't have the effort. I don't have the energy to be kind. How am I going to love that person? I just don't have the energy to love them. How am I going to put up with that person? We just have nothing in common. How am I going to show the love of Christ? How can I bear fruit when it seems like I'm living in a desert? Well, Psalm 1 gives us the answer, doesn't it? It says that the person who delights and cherishes and believes God's word and meditates on them is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God says that the secret to bearing fruit is to believe and to love his words. I think it's easy for us, isn't it, as Christians, we talk about believing in Jesus for salvation. It's easy to kind of think that believing is something that you do once and then you kind of get over believing and you kind of just get on with living. You know, you sort of, you move on from believing to understanding. 
But I think every day is a challenge to believe, isn't it? Every day there is the challenge, again, as I was saying before, to believe God's words rather than Satan's words. To believe in the first place, isn't it? That believing God's words is better than believing Satan's words. No, we need to continue to believe, continue to love God's words. So we've seen that the way of the righteous is not the way of sinners. We've seen that the way of the righteous consists of believing and cherishing God's words and we've seen that that's a good way, haven't we? But that's not where the psalm ends. It ends with a contrast. It ends uh, in verse 4 and following with these words, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The way of the righteous is a good way. The way of the wicked, of of not believing God's words, is is a bad way. They're like chaff. Chaff was uh, what you got when you you harvested grain and you put it on a hard concrete floor, a bit like this one, and you'd uh, beat it with a shovel and that would kind of break off the husk and then you'd throw it up in the air and uh, all the light husk would blow away in the wind and and the grain would fall back to, to the ground and you could take the grain and do whatever you do with grain. And uh, uh, but all the all the useless byproducts would 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 be thrown away. And God says that people who don't believe His words are like that. They're like chaff, completely useless, empty, lightweight. In contrast to the tree which bears its fruit in season. I don't know how many of you have seen that ad uh, of the Fred for the Fred Hollows Foundation. Have you seen the ads with, you know, with shine on, whatever, you know, blah, 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 with jets in the background and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's quite a, it's quite a moving ad, I think, isn't it? Uh, maybe it's just the jet song in the background. But uh, it's, it's quite moving, you know, it's like it's talking about all the amazing things that he did. Uh, you know, he visited Nepal, he visited Eritrea, he visited all these countries around the world uh, and uh, he did eye surgery, he established eye uh, clinics in different countries and programs to sort of maintain and promote uh, uh, restore sight really to uh, to people all over the world. I read somewhere that uh, they reckon a million people living in the world today see because of the work that Fred Hollows did and started. That's incredible, isn't it? A million people see because of his efforts uh, in that regard. But do you know what? Someone says that this is God's verdict uh, on the life of Fred Hollows. He is like chaff that the wind blows away. It's astonishing, isn't it? He is one of Australia's greatest medical heroes, but God's verdict on his life is he is like chaff that the wind blows away. And the person who never does anything great in their entire life, who never restores sight to a single person, who never begins world-famous medical programs or transforms a society, a person who never does that but who believes and who cherishes and who delights in God's words, that person is not like chaff but they're like a tree which yields its fruit in season. A person who will stand at the judgement as opposed to a person who will perish for eternity. 
It's sobering, isn't it? To see God's verdict on a person like Fred Hollows. To paraphrase Don Carfum, in eternity, 50 billion years from now, no one will be celebrating the life and achievements of Fred Hollows, but every cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus will continue to be celebrated. This psalm is a piece of biblical wisdom and so it paints reality in very stark contrasts. But it does that in order to force us to make a choice. There are only two ways. There's the way of the righteous and the way of sinners. There's the way of delighting in and believing God's words and there's the way of believing the words of sinners. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible reminder and, and maybe a timely reminder for some of us of the need to listen and to receive your words and to believe them and to love them. Lord, in particular, to receive and to continue to love the words about the Lord Jesus Christ, the words about your power of salvation, the words about life through the Holy Spirit, the words about the danger of wickedness, But Lord, thank you most of all for the amazing picture of what the results of loving those words will be. Heavenly Father, some of us are very tired from life uh, and from seeking to be faithful to you. And so, Father, we pray that we would take up this biblical remedy and that we would love and cherish your words and speak them to ourselves and that we would believe them rather than believing everything else, that, that, that we would believe your words and so be fruitful. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.